Now, just uh, before we start, I would like to read the last few verses that we've read earlier, starting at Hebrews 10, 19. I want to just read 19, 20, 21, and 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Pray with me. Lord, might your spirit... Uh, bring forth truth from from the preacher, and might your spirit open up the eyes of the hearts of the hearer. May you be exalted. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at Hebrews ten. We're, we're at, as almost as a whole. Um, and we started last week, and what we saw last week in the well, let me back up. The part of Hebrews we're not really looking at, the last half, 19 all the way to the end of 39, presents us with two paths, which I mentioned last week. Presents us with two paths. These options are presented not to the unbeliever, but to us, the believers, for the people in the churches. Two paths, two options. It's black and white. It's cut and dry. There's no third way. Okay? Number one, it's the first option is to draw near to God, which is what we just read. To draw near to God with confidence and full assurance of faith. Now, the second option, which we'll get to later in a few weeks or a couple weeks, however long it takes us to get there, The second option is to continue to go on sinning even after receiving the knowledge of truth. That's an important statement. Even after receiving the knowledge of truth, the gospel. The first leads to eternal life and the second leads to damnation. That is true for both and that that is the options for those who sit in the pews. Now, the point of what we started last week, and we'll continue this week and probably into next week, is to look not to look closer at both options. We'll get to both options more in detail. But what I want to convince to you is that God has saved you for option number one, which seems pretty cut and dry, seems pretty clear. He saved you so that you can draw near to him. He saved you because he wants you to draw near to him. And drawing near to him to knowing him more to the fullest. But mainly what I wanted you to see, what I wanted to show you, and we started last week and we'll continue this week, is that To spend a lifetime drawing near to God, you must do it in confidence and full assurance of faith. Confidently. 
and with full assurance of faith. The statement I made last week, and I want to repeat it again. So the title of this section that we're looking at, that I've given it, is called The Will, The Offering, and The Witness. And because of those three things, you can confidently draw near to God because, and this is how it breaks down, last week we saw that the Father has willed that you be sanctified, set apart for Him. Number two, and that the work of the Son as an offering is what makes that will possible. And number three, that the witness of the Spirit of God is to testify to you and apply to you the will of the Father and the work of the Son. And in those three things, you can find confidence to draw near to God. Again, last week we looked at the will of the Father to sanctify you. And I made this statement that God desired and purposed to sanctify you. Now we're going to look again at that word sanctify. So if you're getting held up with that, we'll come back to that again. God desired and purposed to sanctify you, Christian. To set you apart from the rest of the world. For his purposes. For his good pleasure. For his glory. And that through that you will you have been given access to draw near to his throne. To the throne of grace. So again, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about when we see the word or hear the word sanctify or sanctification. And so to help us with that, we're going to go to the Old Testament. Flip over to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10. To a familiar story, but perhaps we've lost some things in the familiarity of the story of Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus, right after Exodus, right before Numbers, chapter 10. Now let me read to you verses 1 through 3. Keep in mind the the idea of drawing near to God. Okay? Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Pay careful attention here. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. All right, so God says, I will be sanctified. For who? For those who draw near to me. I will be sanctified. Now, I thought we were talking about us being sanctified. Well... And the reason that we need to be sanctified is because God is sanctified. Now, let me work this out for you. What God is saying to Moses here is he says, if you will come into my presence, you will treat me as I am deserved to be treated. Holy. Treat me as holy. And so when he says 
When you come into my presence, I will be sanctified. That is what he is saying. You come into my presence acknowledging, knowing that there is none like me. None. This is God's holiness. If you do not, in approaching God, do it in a way of acknowledging his holiness, what happens? What happened to Nadab and Abihu? They died. They died. This we this is um, this is a big problem. We have to make sure that we don't come into that we don't find ourselves a part of. This is a real problem in uh, the Bible Belt these days. We forgot that God is holy. We probably don't even know what that means. That God is holy. We don't realize that God is completely and utterly unlike us. To the fullest. He is unlike us because he is holy. In his, perf- in his perfect righteousness, in his perfect love, in his perfect justice, he is holy. He is not like us. He has infinite wisdom and infinite power. He is Yahweh, the Lord our God, maker of heaven and earth. And we treat him like a commoner. That is not to sanctify God. And he demands that he be sanctified. And when we treat God as if he is not holy, we say that we do not fear him. We say we do not fear him. And when we do not fear him, we are fools. Because the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. And why would we fear someone who is like us? When you do not fear God as holy, then you do not pray like you should. When you do not fear God as holy, you do not sing as you should. You do not listen to the sermon as you should. You do not parent like you should. You do not give testimony as you should. You are not a witness to the world as you should. When you see God as common, when you do not acknowledge his holiness. Here's Psalm 50. It says, you thought, God speaks in Psalm 50, you thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke and lay the charge before you. Mark this. Then you who forgot God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. But the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the way of salvation of God. Let us not be a people who think God is like us. But let us sanctify God. Let us understand that he is holy, holy, holy. Only thou art holy. There is none beside thee. Perfect in power and love and purity. Now, how important do you think this is? Now, it's top priority. It's so top priority that when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. How did he begin? Our Father in heaven, hallowed 
be your name. Sanctify me. Live as I am holy. Now, we keep looking at Leviticus 10. Now, so you, I want you to start to be seen that we just don't come into the presence. We can't just draw near to someone who is holy, who is sanctified, right? So what, what's the reality? In order to come into someone's presence who is holy, you must be made holy. Now, let's see what happens. Verse 4 through 9. And Moses called Mishael and Azaphan and the sons of Azel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Now I want you to pay attention as we read this to the instruction, the strict instruction, and the dire consequence of not following the instruction. So he's going to tell them how to come in sanctified, how to be clean. Uh, clean. Um, come near. Carry your brothers away from the uh, front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and the wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, be well the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It will be a statute forever. It'll be a statute forever throughout your generation. Don't do this. Do it this way if you don't want to die. I am holy. You are not. You cannot come into my presence apart from being sanctified, consecrated. Now look at verse 10. Here's where it really hammers home. You are to distinguish between the holy and and the common and between the unclean and the clean so here's the problem god is holy you and i are common god is clean we are unclean we're told to distinguish between the two so when you are told to draw near to god confidently your true response ought to be no you first I'm not going in there. You remember old Nadab and Abihu. No, thank you. He's holy. I'm not. He's clean. I'm unclean. But this is the whole point of Hebrews. This is the whole point of chapter 10 in Hebrews. Is that God is making it possible for you to come into his presence. Even as an unholy sinner. Even as one who is unclean. Go back to Hebrews 10. Because you're like, no, you first, man. I'm not going in there. But God says, no, come, come. I have willed that you draw near. It is my desire. I have purposed for you to come near, to enter into the holy place. I desire to sanctify you. 
But then your response should be, how? But how do you do that? Can you just say it? No, look at verse 10 of chapter 10. And by that will we have been sanctified. It doesn't stop. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, it's not no, it's no longer, no, not me, I'm not going in. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by how? The blood of Jesus. So this is the first big takeaway I want for you to have this morning. And this is, uh, it's more... It's more implied throughout all scripture as opposed to it just being said outright here. But the first big takeaway I want you to understand is it is not enough for the Father just to will that you be holy. It is not enough for the Father just to desire and even ordain for you to be sanctified. God can't simply look at a common, at the common and say, holy. He can't just look at something and say, oh, you're clean, even though you're filthy. Because if you let the common into the holy, what happens? The holy actually becomes common. I want you to think about this for a minute. The typical response is, well, you end up like Nadab and Abihu. And that's true. But imagine, I had a couple examples here, and if you talk clean and unclean, you kind of tend to go into the medical realm. Um, you, you know when you go to the, uh, you see the doctor, and they've got that those jars of cotton balls? And let's say you got a, you got a scrape or whatever. You know, they, they, the nurse takes some cotton a cotton ball and, and dabs your, your arm and it's done it's got you know it's got everything on it and then they put it back in the cotton ball jar there you can't, you can't use them you you still, you can't, but the nurse like no it's clean and just throws it in there no they're they're done they're they're no good now you think about it from the stance of an operating room Right, if you think about it from the stance of an operating room, what do, what do you have? You've got an environment that is clean. And you're the, you're the a surgeon's assistant. Um, and the surgeon just can't say, oh yeah, come on in. You're clean. It's okay. Because you walk into that room, you walk into a room that is clean. No, you've got to be prepped. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be clean, made ready to come into the, the clean environment of the presence of the operating room. It is no different from God. It isn't, he doesn't just declare and say it because then you wouldn't be it. God doesn't say, I forgive you, and then you're just forgiven. Action has to take place. Something has to be done. Someone's got to get clean. 
Someone's got to pay the price. God cannot just, and he would not, declare something unclean apart from a cleansing that must take place. That's why he gives all the instructions. Well, let's do this. Go back to Leviticus and look at 16. Maybe my rambling will be helped with Leviticus 16. And I know some of you said would are thinking when I say God couldn't or wouldn't, and you think, well, you should never say that. Well, can we say that God cannot lie? He cannot, because if he did, then he would not be God. Okay? There are things God can't do, not because he doesn't have power, but because if he were to do them, that would make him not God. God wants to wants uh, the priest to come in to the Holy of Holies. He doesn't just say, okay, priest, you can come in because I, I claim that you are clean and holy. No, he gives, he gives a regiment for them to go through in order to prepare themselves to come into his presence. Leviticus 16, the Lord said to Moses after the death of the son of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd of a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on a holy linen a holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. So God could have just said, Aaron, come on in and do your duties. You're clean. But no, he sent him through all of this regiment and instruction to prepare him to come into the presence of God's holiness. But the problem was what Hebrews 10 says, verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Look at verse 3. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. God did not just declare your sanctification, that you are holy and clean, but no, he offered his son so that he might cleanse you, that his blood would sanctify you, make you holy, consecrate you, for the very presence of God. Verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14. For by a single offering. Look what he has done. He has perfected for all time those who are being. You want to know why you can come into the presence of God? Because God has sanctified you by the blood of his son. He did not just will that you be sanctified, but he has cleansed you. He willed that you be cleansed 
by the blood of his son. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts. Look at this. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. F- but just FYI, that's not baptism. Okay. That's not water baptism. You're cleansed by the blood of Christ and his blood alone. So, the first thing I want you to understand is that it is the will of God, not just willing it to happen, but it is the will of God through the work and offering of the Son. Now, the second thing I want you to take away this morning is that basically, and this falls right out of it, it takes both the Father and the Son. Salvation is not just the Son on the cross. It is not just the Father working in heaven. It is both. The Father has eternally ordained your sanctification before He before He knit you in your mother's womb. He had already ordained your sanctification But he had already ordained your sanctification through the offering of his son. And you can come with confidence into the throne room of God, the clean, holy throne room of God, because the father has willed your sanctification before you were born. He has known you, loved you, desired you before you were knowable, despite the fact that you were not going to be lovable or desirable. And you can come with full assurance because the son offered himself in your place to cover you, cleanse you, consecrate you unto God. In him, he has made you lovable. He has made you desirable, not because of anything in you, but simply because you are in Christ, covered by the blood of Christ. And the father says of the son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when we are joined with Christ by faith, that pleasure And that love the Father has for the Son, He also has for you. Because simply you are in the Son, covered by His blood. So then what? Are you going to go home and watch TV? No. Live the rest of your life boldly approaching the throne of God. And you come knowing that it is by the death of the slain, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the last thing, third thing to take away this morning. What exactly did the work of the Son do? What what happened on the cross? Now, I cannot get into that in fullness and detail But just thinking about it from the aspect of an offering to sanctify us. What did the offering accomplish? Now, the theme throughout 10 is very apparent. And I want us to see this. Look at verse 3. But in these sacrifices, the old sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. A reminder of what? Sins every year. Verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away what? Sin. Look at verse 11. 
For every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never do what? Take away sin. So let's make it easy. What did the offering of the Son of God do? What did the, what did the Son of God do on the cross? He took away our sin. He took away our sin. Look at verse 12. But when Christ had offered, not every year, but for all time, a single sacrifice for what? For sins. What did he do after that? He sat down at the right hand of God because no sacrifice after that was needed. Unlike the priest who had to stand daily, yearly, making sacrifices, Christ died once, offered himself as a single sacrifice once, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, if you're confused by that word perfected, a, a, a lot of people and commentary, commentaries say that what they're expressing is that it has been a complete purging of sin and guilt in your account. Right? We're not perfect. No one's walking out of this door sin-free in their behavior or thoughts. Now, we're going to get more into that next week, but just understand that in the eyes of God being in Christ, covered by His blood, you have been perfected, purged for all time, those who are sanctified, set apart unto God. Verse 17. What exactly took place in the offering? Verse 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I want you to understand, dear people, sin is the problem. Not you're not good enough to be the good person or you don't read your Bible enough or you forgot to pray. But you are a sinner. And I don't mean you sin. I mean to the core, you're a sinner. And you sin because you're a sinner. And because of that, you cannot come into the presence of God. Think about it. Think about the garden, right? Think about the garden. When did God remove Adam and Eve from the garden? After their sin, right? Did you know, if you read, if you read Genesis 3, you see that God not only removed him, but he placed cherubim, angels, around the garden and a flaming sword to guard the garden to keep them from coming back in. Did you also know that when God gave instruction to build the tabernacle, the place that he would dwell among Israel, when he made had them make the tabernacle, he gave them instruction to build a veil, to, 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 to create a veil to separate the place that he would be And do you know what he had them embroider on that? Cherubim. The same figures that guarded the garden. We have a... I know I've made this reference before, but it's too good not to do it again. We have a book that we had bought for the kids a while back. And it's called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. 
Now, God removed man from the garden. Why? Because of sin. What kept man out of the Holy of Holies? Behind that curtain, sin. And the book is very clever and very memorable. And it says, because of your sin, you can't come in. That's it. Because of your sin, you cannot come in. Look at verse 19. When we think about the garden, the veil, the cross. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter, enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened us, he opened up, up, opened for us through what? The curtain? That is his flesh through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Where are we drawing near through? Through this new curtain. And what is it? It is the offering of Christ through his flesh. The flesh of the Son of God was torn so that you might draw near to God, so that you might Come in because he has taken away your sin. Be assured of that reality this morning, church. Be confident that you might enter into the presence of a holy God by the blood of his son. Draw near to God. And we're going to talk more about drawing near to God and what that means and what that looks like uh, in another day. There's three things, though, I want you to, to, and I'm going to say these very quickly. Three things about this offering. Three things about the blood. Three things about the, the torn flesh of Christ. Number one, it is sufficient. Meaning, it is the only way needed to draw near to God. Through the blood of Christ. This is why Jesus uses the definite article in John 14 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, tonight you come back, we're going to look at Christ alone in our Reformation study. And we can look at and point to Catholicism and say indulgences and, and, and acts of penance and this and that. But here's the problem. Protestants, we create our own acts of righteousness. Why are you here today? Is it because you want to please God and if you don't, he's not going to be pleased? No. You cannot come to church enough to make God happy. Out of obedience, by the covered blood of Christ, you desire to come and worship with the saints. Only, only by the blood of Christ can you be cleansed. The blood of Christ is sufficient. You need add nothing else to it. Second, effective. 
the offering was effective. One sacrifice for all your sins, past, present, and future. He remembers your sins no more, and that's because the blood of Christ never fades. It does not fade, nor does it run off. When you are covered, you are covered. Now, here's what we're going to think about in the coming week, is if you're covered and that sin has been removed, how do you feel about sin? Do you desire obedience? But take heart and be confident that the blood of Christ does not fade or run. But when you are covered, you are covered. It is effective. Look at verse 17. Once again, I remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. You are covered. You have been perfected before the sight of God because of the offering of the Son. And the last one is this offering is never to be repeated. Now this is more of a warning than a reassurance. Because the reassurance in that realm has come to the fact that it is sufficient and effective. But if you do not draw near to God but instead continue on to sin, the point that the writer here wants you to know, if you continue on in sin and disobedience after hearing, receiving the knowledge of truth, there will no longer be a sacrifice for you. There will not be another one. If you trample on this one, If you turn your back to the cross of Christ, there will not be an offering available to you. Never once more will someone come to take away your sin. And so that's why Paul, no, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews says today. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Because there is no sacrifice that is coming that can take away sins. It is Christ and in Christ alone. There will never be a repeat. So I'll just finish up here. One day, each and every one, everyone in this room, this is kind of backwards here, will come into the presence of God. Now, I've told you to come to the presence of God, but I want you to understand whether you do or don't, one day you will come into the presence of God. You will stand before your Maker, the Holy One, and the question will be do you enter holy? Do you enter sanctified? Do you enter prepared for eternal life? And the presence of God. Or or will you come in common. Unclean. And ultimately prepared to stand before God in judgment. And eternal destruction. Under his wrath. Paul says in Acts. The time of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands. It is difficult for me to say to give you an invitation because God commands that you repent and believe. Come to Him, yes, but if you do not 
repent and believe. It is not just something that you missed out on, but you will be held in judgment and condemnation under the wrath of God for all eternity. And He commands every man and woman everywhere to repent and believe because He has fixed a day on which you will stand before Him and He will judge you and the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus Christ, whom He has appointed and on this man he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. After the offering, and he took on sin and death, he defeated sin and death, and he was resurrected from the grave. So today I call you to resurrection and life, to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must be cleansed. You must be sanctified. You must be justified. You must come to Christ, lest you be damned and set aside as common for all eternity. But I ask you, I plead with you to come to the cross of Christ and be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Find yourself in the rock of ages that has been cleft and cut for you. The flesh is torn. The veil is gone. The entrance into the presence of God is now and available unto you. But you must come in faith. And repentance and be counted as a son and a daughter, not a sinner and a rebel. Have your sin taken away. Have your sin removed. Be perfected in Christ. Believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Be baptized into Christ Jesus and join in his body of saints and grow into him. I just I want to close today. Uh, with, I want to read to you what is known as um, the Father's Bargain. It's written from a Puritan, John Flavel, in the 1600s. There's a conversation between the Father and the Son. The Father says, My Son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And thus Christ returns. Son says to the father, oh, my father, such is my love too, and pity for them that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety, as their guarantee Bring in all thy bills, all their debt, that I may see that what they owe thee, Lord, bring them all in, that there may be no after reckonings with them. At my hand shalt thou require it. I will rather choose to suffer thy wrath, Father, than they should suffer it. Upon me, my Father, upon me be all their debt. All their uncleanliness. And the father responds, but my son, if if you undertake this for them, you will reckon to pay every last penny. Expect no abatements. I will not spare you. I will not spare you. If I spare them. The son says, content, father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. 
And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverishes all my riches, empties all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. This is the will of the Father and the work of the Son. Let's pray. Our Father God, we look upon you and give you praise for your glorious grace. We humble ourselves in order to exalt you. We desire to decrease so that you might increase and that your son, our ransom payment, our redemption, would be king of kings, not in our words, but in our hearts. And flow through from our hearts to our words and our actions. Stir in us a greater understanding of the cost of the cross. Explode in our minds the true holiness of your estate, of your perfections and your purities. And thank you, God, that you have willed to sanctify us, to consecrate us, to cleanse us. And that you have given your son to do that very thing. Might we live in the light and the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.